So, uh, so we're glad you're here. This is, uh, this is the last week of our, um, our Jesus Creed series. We've been now, this is week six now, where we're talking about the Jesus Creed. And, and uh, I think, I imagine that when we started, it was probably like six weeks of this one thing. Like, what are we gonna do? And then we realized, oh man, this Jesus Creed is all over, is all over the New Testament. And Jesus talks about it so many times. And, and so here we are again, um, week six, to kind of round out the Jesus Creed series. And we're gonna begin like we do all of the services. And we're going to recite the Jesus Creed together because you've memorized it. Yeah, yeah, good, good, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. So, so last service, last service, I wanna, do, I, I wanna be honest here. Okay, last service. Uh, I had to, I apologize to you. I apologize to you to them. If that makes sense. I apologize to them because I told them last service that you guys were not good at this <laughs> two weeks ago. And then you remember that and you nailed it. You killed us. So I told them, hey, guess what? I have to apologize. I, I didn't think second service was going to get it. And last week, they knocked it out of the park. Second service, I said, might be better than you first service people. And they got very offended, threw stuff at me. And, but you know what? It's, they didn't really throw stuff. But here we are. And, and um, so we're gonna do this again. And they, they got it right, this, the first service. Like, it, awesome. Now here's the, the, something that I've done here. I've, I've decided I really wanna help you out. Uh, if we can throw the, the cheat sheet up there. I've gone ahead and removed all the words. <laughs> all right? So every word is up there. It's all, every single word of the Jesus Creed. You just can't see it, but they are there. So we're going to do our best to recite this together. Again, if, you, if you're new, welcome. You're off the hook. You don't have to do, you know, you don't do your homework because it, it's fine. You get a pass for the day. For those of us that you're like, you've been here every week. All right, it's on you now to pass the test. So here we go, ready? Let's begin. Here Good job. Okay, so you nailed it. You nailed it. And, and if, you know, some of you, you're like, you, that was great. That was great. Here's the deal. The reason we do this isn't as like some fun thing or, you know, competition with first service, though you guys won. Um, the reason is because we really do want to internalize what Jesus calls the greatest commandments, that, that all of the scriptures hang on these two commands. That Jesus says, of all the things talked about, these are the two that summarize them all. These are the most important. So we, we then respond and say, all right, we should know them. We should try to, to, to not just know them, but to try to live by them and try to actually like, see them experienced in our lives. So we began by memorizing it. We've been doing it every week. And, and man, this, it's, you, you killed it so much better. That first week, I don't even remember that. I guess it was week two. That was rough. That was rough, but you got it. And, and the goal, the goal is to memorize it so that we live it. So if you remember, we've been talking about the Jesus Creed has really two focuses or two kind of axes, so to speak. And the first is a vertical focus where, where love the Lord your God with all that you are, with all that you're being. And then Jesus says, and the second is a horizontal focus, love your neighbor as yourself, making a cross that we're familiar with. 
And, and he says the Jesus creed, what it means to be a follower of me and to, be, to experience real formation and growth is to live where those intersect. That is the Jesus creed, loving God and loving others. So this morning, um, we're gonna look at, at a, a few things. First, we're gonna see that, that, that this really is, we've been looking at this for five weeks now, this really is, this Jesus creed really is a focus of Jesus throughout the gospels. And everywhere you turn, almost on every page, when you, when you kind of have the, the filter of looking that, like for how this impacted Jesus, what he taught, what he did, you realize, man, it's all over the place. Even, even some of the, like the, the stories that we know that are super well-known. I was, again, listening to the radio this week, and, and uh, on my drive into work one day, I heard a little, quick little news story of, of, this is on a secular station too. It's like, uh, you know, this isn't like the Christian station. They said, three people, three good Samaritans help a lady get out of her car, whatever it is. They usually, literally use the language, good Samaritans, the language that comes from Jesus. And then we looked at that story a few weeks ago and you realize, man, the good Samaritan story, like the, the story that Jesus gives is in response to the Jesus creed. Someone asked him, well, who's my neighbor? And he's like, all right, well, let me tell you about a neighbor. That, that there's so much in the Bible and particularly in the gospels that, are, that, that Jesus shares that, that really does relate directly, like direct, a direct response to the Jesus creed. Here's what we're gonna see too. Not only was this a value for Jesus, this was a value, this focus on the Jesus creed was important for his apostles, for those who would write down scriptures later. Like the big dogs, like the guys that we think of when we think of like the Christians or the leaders of the early church. Those names that wrote scriptures, that wrote, like we have books of the Bible that are named after them. They talk about the Jesus Creed. Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter. Peter was certainly with Jesus for his whole ministry. He would have heard Jesus talk about and preach about the Jesus Creed and, and he would have seen Jesus tell stories about it. Here's what he says in 1 Peter Four, eight. It says, above all, above all, above all that you do, ready? Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Above everything else, listen, above all, I've, I've wrote a lot in this, in this little letter here, above all of it, ready? Here's the point, ready? Love each other deeply. John writes this in 1 John chapter three. Um, we're going through this as a staff. We're studying through, uh, we're walking through the books of John together. He, he writes this, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. He talks about this a lot, all throughout 1 John. We should love one another. John talks about, in the very beginning, the all, in 1 John, he talks about this new command. He says, I give you a new command, but it's not really a new command, it's an old command, but it's, it's also a new command. He's like, he, he's kind of, he's very poetic and very artsy and kind of like, dude, you can't make up your mind. He's like, well, it's both. It's both an old command and a new command. And then he says this, and this is the command, ready? Love each other. He references Jesus, talking about the Jesus Creed. This is the command we were giving. He says, love each other. We see Paul write this in Galatians chapter five. Paul goes even a step further and quotes it. He says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Ready? Here it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. Wow, Paul, the entire law. And Paul was an expert on the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a guy who studied the law. He talked about, he, he wrote some of the most technical and, and like dense theological writing of all time. 
He, he writes Romans, which is probably the most theological document ever written. And he says, now, he, he has a handle of theology and the law, and he says, this is what, you ready? This is, this is, this is the whole entire, all of it's fulfilled in this. The Jesus Creed. <laughs> Love your neighbor as yourself. James. James is an interesting one because James, James is the half-brother of Jesus, but he wasn't a Christian. James wasn't a follower of Jesus. In fact, James was a skeptic because he's like, that's my bigger bro. Like, bro, I, like, I grew up with you, man. You and I wrestled together. I know you're not the son of God. You're, this is crazy. At one point in the gospels, Jesus is preaching and teaching and his family shows up because they're like, he's saying crazy stuff and they're trying to quiet him, silence him. Like, hey man, you're, you're disgracing the family. Like, you gotta stop. And they try to get in and they can't. And Jesus said, and they tell him, hey, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are here. And he says, who are my mother and brothers and sisters? Anyone who does the will of God. And he's like, I, like I, that's not my family. My family is anyone who does the will of God. And so James is like, dude, what are, you like, what are you talking about, man? And then something happens. James goes from a skeptic who was, who was trying to stop Jesus to becoming a leader. Listen, a leader in the church in Jerusalem, the most influential church at that time. He becomes the guy because he, one thing happens. He sees the resurrected Jesus and he's, he realizes, oh man, my brother, though all big brothers claim to be perfect, he really was perfect. Like my big brother really was the son of God. And he puts his faith in him and he writes down the first book of like chronologically of the New Testament. Like the earliest document, one of the earliest documents we have, First and Second Thessalonians and James. Before even the gospels are written down, James is already like, all right, I gotta, talk, I gotta, I gotta write down what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so here's what he says. In James chapter two, verse eight, he writes this, if you really keep the royal law, he calls it the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. He says, if you really do this, if you really do carry out what he calls the royal law, the Jesus Christ, he says, then you're doing good. You're doing it right. You're on it. Good job. These, these followers of Jesus, not only are they influenced by Jesus, but they're influenced by his understanding of the Jesus Creed, and they write about it in their writings. So it's all over the New Testament. Now the question then is, all right, how do we do this? Tell us, how, like, what enables us to live out the Jesus Creed, this, this idea or capacity to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves? How do we do that? By what power or ability or, or enablement are we able to do this? And there is a key to this that Jesus gives us. There is a key that helps us not just understand what, what it is we should be doing, but the ability and the power to live out the Jesus Creed. And the key to living out the Jesus Creed is a word that we don't often use a lot, but Jesus certainly did. The key is found in this, abiding. What Jesus calls abiding in him. He's gonna use this language specifically in, in John chapter 15. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about how, uh, how the book of John, like, like nearly a quarter of it, is Jesus's final sermon given at, at, during the Last Supper. And, and, and from chapters 13 to 17 is all, is all about the Last Supper. And John 15 comes right in the middle of that. So here's what this tells us, ready? 
that Jesus talks about what we're going to look at here, this, this idea of abiding. He's doing it with just his 12 disciples at the Last Supper, like towards the end of his life. Literally the last night before he's crucified is when he preaches this. This isn't part of his regular preaching going around. This isn't like he's standing out in a crowd or, or he's you know, up on the Sermon on the Mount. This isn't a part of that. That this teaching is at the very end. When Jesus is very specific about his words and he's like, this is literally the last message I'm gonna give you guys before I go to the cross. They don't know he's going to the cross yet, but he knows. And it's there we find Jesus talk about this key of abiding. He uses a well-known illustration about living in the kingdom and how, how to live out the Jesus creed. Here's what he says in John 15, starting in verse one, he says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So he says, remain in me and, and, or abide in me. Like depending on the translation you have, the, the actual Greek word is probably more accurately translated abide. Remain or abide in me as I also remain and abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain or abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain and abide in me. So lesson one is that God prunes us to make us more fruitful. What he says here, he starts by saying, listen, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And my, my father, he's the gardener. And his job is to make you more fruitful. And he does so by pruning. Now, I have here a, a special item. You probably saw me bring it here. Um, this comes, this comes uh, from a long land, long distant, far away land. Uh, this comes all the way from my office. This, this is my plant, right? Uh, uh, I just got a woo. That was pretty good. Um, okay, so this, now here's the deal. Ready? Don't judge me on how well this is taken care of, right? Some of you might be green thumbs. Uh, I, uh, I, well, I'm a missing thumb. I'm like not, I'm like not. Okay, this, this is my vine. Now, now here's the deal. Let me try and untangle this because... Um, this I've had now for a number of years. And this guy, uh, or gal, I don't, have, I don't know yet, haven't discovered. Um, I, uh, I, I, I've been taken care of, but also you probably can tell as soon as, uh, as, soon as you see like the full beauty of, of it, that I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I've been, I've been like, it's been growing in my office and it started just a little, little plant and it became like longer and it's still not like fully undone. It'd be longer and longer and, and to the point where I'm like going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I know, um, I know I don't want to cut it because you don't do that to things that you love. So, uh, here, it's still going. See this? It's like, oh my, okay. I'm telling you. Guys, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so this, this has been growing for years and it got to the point where it started kind of creeping down my bookshelf and then it got to the point where it was like touching the ground. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Look out, my beautiful vine. And then it would like curl around and it's like trying to find any breathing room or sunshine. And, and then merely my executive assistant, she goes, do you... Um, do you need some help? I'm like, 
I probably do. She goes, all right, well, I'm gonna at least just hang it, just so it looks like okay. <laughs> so she started hanging it on my, I'm like, it's a brilliant idea. So it's like kind of growing and, and then it just got like crazy out of control. And then something happened a few months ago. Um, a few months ago, it lost all of its leaves. And it, for a good reason, it lost all of its leaves because <clears throat> I forgot to water it for a while. And, and so it got literally completely like, like this, like the whole thing was like this. I'm going, oh man, I really am doing it wrong. <laughs> and, and then I started watering again and it started coming back and I'm, I'm going again, I don't wanna cut it. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But here's, here's, the, here's the thing, ready? Jesus says, hey guys, let me give you an illustration. Okay, ready? I am the vine here. I'm the vine. And, and these, all these branches and these shoots that come off, that's you. That's you. And my, my father's the gardener. And his job is to get this, to, to, to bear more fruit. To, 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 and, and anything that doesn't bear fruit, he's going to get rid of. And here's the deal. He's going to prune. He's going to prune. And, and here's the deal. Ready? Okay. Pruning. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> pruning. Uh, now, again, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know that you're supposed to like prune so you find one that, you know, you, I think that you don't like the shape of or it's like, you know, it's annoying you and you just, isn't that right? Isn't that how you do it? Yeah, no, listen, I'm no expert, but I rely on my father, the heavenly father to prune because I'm, but, but I know this, like he looks at stuff that aren't producing and he's going, oh man, that doesn't look good. Oh. And this, this, listen, in our lives, that hurts, right? None of us, none of us want to go, Lord, today, prune the heck out of my life. Prune everything. Get, cut it all out. All the stuff you don't want, just remove it as violently and as efficiently and effectively and as quickly as you can. None of us do that because we're, ooh, even right now, as I pull out scissors and like begin to cut, and if I cut the wrong thing, you go, ooh, this one looks a little yellowish, and you know, I, I don't, you know, it's kind of looking at me weird. It's got a, a weird eye, eyeball thing. Cut it out, and it's gone. And, and here's the thing. This guy right now, he's still alive. In a few days, he's not. He's gone. And the goal isn't because like, like the Lord hates you and he's like, man, I'm gonna make your life terrible. The reason he prunes is because he understands that it's required to produce more, better fruit. Just like pruning plants produces more, better fruit or, or, or response or berries or leaves or whatever it may be. So this thing died a while ago and I don't know if you can see all the new growth that's like, it's out of control. I have to prune this. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just gonna let it grow, right? Three years from now, I'll be like, hey guys, check this out. And it'll be like going off the stage. Like, and, and, and here's the thing, here's the thing, ready? There may be things in your life right now that's happening that is painful. And you might even be asking like, why? Like, really, Lord, that's the plan? Why is this happening? And, and much like this guy is going, why did you just cut off a healthy leaf? Why'd you cut that healthy branch? And the gardener who knows what he's doing, i.e. myself, um, because I understand what is required for more fruit, and that is pruning. And, and God might be in your life 
pruning things that might even on the surface look good and healthy and right and, and it's, it's fine. Why would you cut that off? And he says, no, no, no. I'm doing this to make you more fruitful. That, that the, the art of pruning is, is because when, when you get too many things fighting for the same sustenance, that, that they all end up suffering. So um, we're from, my wife and I, I, I was born and raised in Central California and then, uh, and then finally got out to God's country here in Oregon where it snows during spring break. And, um, but when we were in California, um, you, I lived in Central California in Fresno and, and here's the deal with, with Central California. It doesn't matter where you are, like you go to any city, I mean you go hundreds of miles, it doesn't matter where you are. If you throw something in the ground, it will grow. You don't even have to think about it, honestly. You don't have, you, like, you can think, ah, we probably should water it, but even if you don't, it's like, I don't care, I'm gonna grow, I'm gonna grow. You come to Bend, to Central Oregon, and nothing grows. Like it was, we, we tried to grow, uh, we tried to grow tomatoes our first year here, we're like, oh, it was a day like this, March. It's Easter, it's bright out, it's sunny, oh, look at the weather, it's gonna be 60. We're like, let's plant some, eat some, uh, some tomato plants, we don't know what we're doing, right? Like, are you kidding me? You talk about, like, probably the biggest waste of money we've ever spent here was that first year we're going, let's grow stuff. And we grew it, and then it just, like, it snowed again because this just keeps snowing. Like, there's, because there is no spring here. You go winter, fake spring, winter, summer. That's the, that's like the seasons here. And it doesn't grow. But in Fresno, like, man, you, anything in the ground, I remember I had a, 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 a there's a family we knew, a, um, some friends of ours, and, and they decided that they would have a little like um, a, a Halloween time, a pumpkin patch for kids to come around and they had all these pumpkins, you pick them. It was great. And then they got rid of all, but they forgot one. Honestly, he goes, we forgot one pumpkin. We didn't see it. And it rotted out and all the seeds went in and it started growing. And he, at the beginning, he's like, oh, this is cool. Because every year, like it'll come back. And he's like, oh man, that first year, we had more vines and more pumpkins. And it was like, wow, we're growing our own pumpkins, this is cool. And then cut it off and then get rid of it and like, oh, sweet. And then the next year he goes, it got out of control. He goes, Brandon, we can't get rid of pumpkins. And I'm like, are you serious? So I go to his house and on his back fence is like just vines of pumpkins. He's going, we've cleared this, I don't know how many times. We can't stop it from growing. And, and so like everything grows there. So we had a garden. We didn't plant pumpkins because, you know, I learned my lesson. Don't, like pumpkin, that's gonna get crazy. But we did have, we did have a huge lemon tree, a king lemon tree, it was huge. When we bought the house, I mean, it was overgrown. Like they clearly didn't do anything to it. It was, I mean, honestly, it was stories high. It was probably 25, maybe 30 feet high and wide. It was this, it was huge, a huge tree. Provided all kinds of shade, it was awesome. Produced lemons and, and like, and lemons and more lemons, like, I, we've never had so many lemons. But then we noticed one year they all stayed green and green lemons aren't ripe. Did you know that? <laughs> so we realized like we gotta prune this thing. Like the growth is actually, like it's too big. It's actually hurting itself. So we had to get an arborist come tell us how to do it. And all right, you wanna cut the tops off because it makes no sense to have lemons 30 feet high. How are you gonna pick that? So like, okay, that makes sense. So trim it down and trim it in and get rid of. And, and even though it looks like healthy branches, you wanna cut off some. And, and when lemons start growing, you wanna cut some of them off so that they don't steal from the other ones. You gotta prune. You have to prune. And all of a sudden we got these lemons again. They were beautiful, bright and yellow and huge. And to the point where we're going, this is awesome. We can't eat this many lemons. Like, what do you do with a lemon? It's not an orange where you peel it and you're like, this is a, an amazing fruit, right? A lemon is like, oh, 
okay, right? Lemons are good for one thing, squeezing on other stuff. That's all you do with lemons. <laughs> this tree ended up producing so many lemons because we pruned it, it got so fruitful that literally, if you came to our house, we're giving you a boxes of lemons. Going like, hey, hey, when life gives you lemons, give them to your neighbors, right? And your friends and anyone who comes to your house. Because, because we pruned this thing. And all of a sudden, it just like, it just got out of control. Like it was producing so much fruit. Pruning, though maybe may painful, especially in our lives and our hearts, pruning is painful, but the Lord sees it as necessary to grow you, to help you produce more fruit. So there may be things that you're experiencing and, and saying, why, God, why? And he says, I know it's painful. I know it's hard. I know it's not what you think or what you want, or what you hope for, but just wait because I'm pruning your life. First lesson we hear, we see from Jesus is that God prunes us to make us more fruitful. He continues, verse five. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide or remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not, now here's the scary part. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then he says this, this is to my Father's glory. Here it is, ready? This is what glorifies God, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Here's what he says, remain in me. And the branches that don't will be taken out, thrown away, and thrown in the fire. But you, you remain in me because my, my Father's will, what glorifies him, is that you bear much fruit. You, you continue to grow and bear fruit and prove yourself to be my disciples. So here's what we have. We, I don't know if you can see this well, but there, there's a lot of, I'll just show you, there's a lot of dead branches here. And these, these are a total waste. So these things that, for whatever reason, didn't work, didn't stay connected to the vine, they, they, they didn't get connected, like they lost the ability to, to, to continue to, to feed and thrive. Jesus says, my father's gonna, these ones, these ones he just throws away. They wither and, they, and eventually they get thrown into the fire. He says, there's a real consequence for not remaining in me. The not remaining in me is not like, oh, this, like, like this, like if we just decide, oh, this guy, you know, you're not gonna remain anymore. He's like, oh, awesome, I'm free. I'm not stuck to this dumb vine that's controlling my life. I can go do whatever I want for 12 hours. And then it starts to shrivel and die. And then eventually it's like, oh man, just get rid of, like you're, it's dead, it's good for nothing. As much as we think, oh, freedom. Jesus says, if you leave me, if you leave me, it will hurt more. And in fact, spiritually speaking, you're gonna die. You're gonna shrivel and wither and then be thrown into the fire. Don't leave the vine of Jesus. This is remain in me. And in doing so, you let my father prune you and you will bear much fruit. Lesson two, God wants you not to bear fruit. He wants you to bear more fruit. 
Bearing fruit isn't enough where you say like, hey, I've, I, I have this going on in my life and, and I've had some fruit in this area and, and I've changed in this area and I respond better in this area and maybe I'm more loving here or I'm, 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 maybe I don't worry as much here. And so like, I'm good, so I'm good. And what he's saying, what Jesus says is, no, 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 what glorifies my father is that you actually bear more fruit, that you continue to grow in all areas of your life. To never just say like, I'm satisfied, I'm done. He says, no, no, he's gonna prune you so that you bear more fruit and in doing so, prove to be my disciple. Every good gardener wants to produce more fruit, to be more fruitful. God is no different. He wants a healthy garden full of fruit, of fruitful disciples who are continuing to grow in him. He continues, verse nine, as, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love, abide in my love. And here's how you do that. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The third lesson that we see from this story, this, this kind of analogy of abiding, is that we abide by obeying Jesus' command. Jesus would often speak in parables, and he would often speak in stories that he would have to describe or explain because they didn't get it. In fact, some of the ones we know of that, that are like the famous ones, there's a, the parable of the sower and the seed, where Jesus talks about this, this farmer who's gonna throw seed kind of indiscriminately on four different soils, and one's good, and one's rocky, and, one's, and one is on a path, and one is in thorns. And, and like, he, he, he shares this, and then they go, man, that is a great, that is a great, Jesus, that's a wonderful teaching. What does it mean? We have no idea what that means. They walk away, it says, they, and they were, they, were, uh, they were confused and didn't understand. So then privately, they go to Jesus. What did you just say? What did you, like, what are you talking about? And, and first he insults them. <laughs> He's like, you guys still don't get this? And he goes like, I'm gonna entrust everything to you, and you guys don't get it? After all this time? And they're probably like, oh man, we shouldn't have asked. We shouldn't, and we should just, just, just don't ask Jesus stuff because, and then he explains it. Now, in this story, in this experience, remember, this is at the end. This is at the end. This is the last night, their last supper together. Jesus explains it all, and he's super clear, and he speaks in plain language. So before they can even ask, that's wonderful. How do we do this? He says, now here's the deal. Remain in me. Remain in my love as I have remained in my father's. Now here's what that looks like. Ready? If you keep my commands, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in me. Here's what he's not saying, ready? What he's not saying is, if you pray a specific prayer when you're six years old, then you did it. You're done, you're in me, and you don't gotta ever think about it ever again. That's not what he's talking about. That, that, here's the deal, really, here's what it means to remain in me. If you have perfect theology, better than everyone else's theology, then you remain in me. That's wonderful. Now, it's good to have good theology. And, but listen, like your ability or your, like, your capacity to remain in Jesus isn't, isn't defined by how well-rounded your understanding of all things theology is. Though that is a good thing and you should be pursuing good theology. That is not what defines how closely connected you are to Jesus. How, hey, he doesn't say this. Hey, listen, to remain in me, 
Here's what I need you to do. I need you to better understand the reasons for your faith and explain them to other people. What we call apologetics. Hey, the way you, the way you remain in me is by being, having a better understanding and a knowledge of me and by increasing your faith. Now that's all good stuff. That's all stuff we should be doing. But that's not, that's not the thing that keeps us, Jesus says, connected and abiding in him. Here's what he says. If you keep my commands, then you remain in me. If you keep, if you do what I ask and what I tell you to do, that is how you remain a part of this vine and stay healthy and growing and glorify my Father. And and you do that, you remain in me and I remain in you. And it's this life-giving kind of back and forth like they're all a part of the same thing. But this, these branches, these leaves have to remain in the vine. And they do so, and Jesus says, you do so by obeying Jesus's command. He's speaking plainly now, and now he's gonna get even more plain. All right, Jesus, tell us your command. What is it we're supposed to do then? Make it so simple for us to understand. Here's what he says in verse 12. Tell me if you at all hear the Jesus creed. Now come forth. My command is this, okay? That makes it obvious. Here it is. Obey my command. If you keep my command, you will remain. So here's the command. Ready? My command is this. Love each other. Oh. Love each other. He says, love each other as I have loved you. That's the command. He could say anything he wants. This is the last night. All right, what's your command? And, and the disciples at that point will say, whatever you tell us, we will do. Whatever your command is, you could tell us to do anything, anything you want as the command that you're giving us and we'll do that. And he says, my command is this, ready? The Jesus creed, love each other. Love each other as I have loved you, as I've demonstrated to you, you now go do to other people. Greater love, he says, now he describes the greatest love possible. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. They, again, they don't know about the cross. They don't know this is their last night with him. But he is foreshadowing and letting them know, hey, listen, the greatest love you can have is to literally lay down your life for someone you love. And then he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. You're my friends, you're in. And I, I do no, I, uh, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I've learned from the Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, my Father will give you. He says, I, I, listen, I call you friends. It isn't servant master now. You are my friends. And this is our last night together, but I've let you know everything the Father told me, I shared with you. You how have. And you guys are my friends. And the greatest love you can have is to lay down your life for your friends. And I am about to do that. And then he ends. He's like, in case, now, let me just restate, in case you didn't catch it. He says it again, verse 17. This is my command. Love each other. That's it. 
This is my command, love each other, not get better at your theology, not make sure that you are praying a specific thing, not that you will be better at sharing your faith, not that, not that like, you, hey, I want you to make sure that like you, you stop doing all the sin in your life, like you gotta cut it all out. That's what it means to be a follower of me. No, he doesn't say any of that. Though, though all of that's good stuff. Listen, here's what he says, ready? You wanna remain in me, this is my command. You obey my command, and here's my command. Love each other. Man, the church could do a better job at loving each other, can't we? Holy moly. If we just did that one command, if we just took seriously this command, this Jesus, the Jesus creed to say, hey, you know what? We got differences. We got, di listen, New Hope Church, we have differences with other churches, theologically. But they're still in the family. We're not all of a sudden like off the hook of not loving people because like, oh, you have a different theology than me. You have a different understanding. You have a, you have a different way of worshiping than I do. You have a different practice than I do. Here's what we're told. This is my command. Ready? Love each other. Love each other. Love each other. Ooh. Here's what we see. Lesson four, Jesus' command is the Jesus Creed. What begins with abiding ends with the Jesus Creed. He makes it real simple. The key to living out the Jesus Creed is abiding. So you want to know what this is like? All right, you got to abide. And here's how you abide. Ready? You, you obey the Jesus Creed. And, and obeying the Jesus Creed, you get the power from abiding. And, and here's how you abide. Ready? You obey the Jesus Creed. It's this cycle that like the more you do it, the better it gets and the more impact it has in your life. That this really is, really does have the power to transform you. So here's the point of all of this. This whole series comes down to this, to abide in Jesus. I need to have a continual connection to him. This is it. This is important. To abide in Jesus means to have a continual connection to the vine. That this vine, like this needs to always stay attached. Ready for this? This is gonna hurt a little bit. Okay, ready? It isn't connected to the vine only on Sunday mornings. It's not only serious about faith on Sunday mornings when you're here and you're like, oh, awesome. And then the rest of the week is kind of like out of sight, out of mind. But, you know, we'll come back Sunday and we'll, we'll like, oh, shoot. Okay. It's Sunday again. Let, all right, let's reattach real quick. Just for a few hours. An hour. Let's be honest. I'm focused for 35 minutes. 20 minutes. All right, you got 15 minutes of my attention on a Sunday. And then, and then I'm, I'm gonna go on my own way again. That, listen, you will not be attached or abiding in the vine. This is a always 24-hour thing that this, they always are connected to the vine or else they're thrown out. So here's the deal. Here's how we do this. Okay, ready? How do we stay connected, continually connected to him? Here's the first thing I'm gonna tell you to do in this. I remember I started doing this. It totally changed my life. I was a new Christian. I had no idea what I was doing. Here it is, ready? The first thing you can do is to pray many prayers throughout your day. I want you to try that this week and then I want you to do it, the, honestly, you, you, can, you can do this the rest of your life. You are allowed to. Here's what I mean by that, ready? Um, I remember when I... Um, uh, first became a Christian and I didn't know anything and I'm in a small group and with guys that, you know, uh, leaders that are certainly far more experienced than I was and, and, um, and we're talking about prayer and, and my understanding of prayer was you start by saying, dear Lord, you make a bunch of asks for things, right? Like, dear Lord, 
I would really love to date this girl. She's cute. Could you make her interested in me? That's a prayer request. Um, dear Lord, uh, my car is not really reliable. It's a safety thing. Lord, can I, you give me a new car? <laughs> um, and, and like you just go down the list of all this stuff and then you say in Jesus' name, amen. And then it was like, all right, all right, Jeannie, go give me this stuff. And, and I remember a guy saying, hey, Brandon, how about this? When you pray, start praying, but don't, listen, don't say amen at the end of your prayers. I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure that's illegal. I'm pretty sure it's not a prayer unless you say amen. How do you, how do you know when to open your eyes, right? Like, you have to have a conclusion. And he said, no, no, just talk to God, but don't ever end it. Not that amen's bad, but just keep a, a conversation open. And he said, do it while you're driving. Don't close your eyes, but do, while you're driving, do it while you're, while you're at home or while you're, uh, while you're around town or whatever. And so I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just start doing this. And, 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 and it got to the point where I'm like just, I'm like, it probably looks like, looked like I was crazy. It was long before like the, you know, the ears pieces where you're, now everyone looks like they're talking to themselves in the car. You know, like, uh, that used to be a weird thing. Do you remember that? You know, someone's just talking, you're like, okay. Like, that was me, just praying and never saying amen. Not because it was bad. Like, there'd be times you say amen in a specific prayer. You're praying for, you know, the meal or something. But just like, Lord, I'm going to a meeting right now. I'm just praying your goodness. And, and you know, this is gonna be maybe contentious. So just, you know, just... I'm asking that I would have patience here. And that's it. And go into it. And hey, Lord, that went well. Thanks so much for that. And that's it. That's a prayer. And he'd be praying throughout your day as you go to work, as you're driving. Lord, get me ready for the day. This is about to happen. I'm kind of anxious about this thing. So if you could maybe not like, I'm not asking you to like fix everything or line it all up, but just help me respond well to whatever today has for me. All right. Hey. That, that sounds a lot like staying connected to the vine daily, regularly, continually praying, like Paul says, to pray continually. It's not like you ever, like, don't ever stop praying, but rather, I'm always in an attitude and a spirit and a moment where I'm, I'm in communion, in communication with God. So this week, try that. Listen, during your day, throughout the day, random times, just talk to God about anything and everything and don't end it. Just leave the conversation open. See what happens. See how it goes. Here's the second thing. Number one, pray many prayers throughout your day. Number two, read God's word regularly. I, we stress this a lot because this really is the thing that you and I need to do to really grow in our faith, our understanding. All right, if you wanna, if you wanna remain in me, obey my commands. All right, what are your commands? Okay, love each other. What else did you say? Well, you gotta read it. How will we know if we're not reading this? I'm telling you, if you begin, if you begin praying every day, regularly throughout your day, just as a, a, a pattern of how you do things, and you open this up daily and read, whatever your routine is, whatever, whatever you, makes sense for you, whatever you decide for it to be, listen, it will change you. It will have an effect on your life. Uh, the, the series before this, we did one on, uh, on the Bible, if you remember. Um, and we, we have uh, Bible reading plans that we gave out and you can go get your own. And I, I think we even have some in the, uh, in the guest services. So if you're like, I don't know where to start, we did the work for you. You can go grab one and just start reading your own Bible for yourself. So pray many prayers throughout the day. 
read God's word regularly, and then our regular homework, memorize the Jesus Creed, which most of us have done. Awesome, great job, because it helps us internalize it. And if you remember, the homework was then to recite it twice a day. I've talked to a few people, you've come up to me and you said, hey, I've I've been doing this in the morning and the evening, and it is remarkable how it's affecting me. That I wake up and I I start my day already thinking about God. Before it was just sort of like a, a out of sight, out of mind, but it forces me to remind myself to love God and to love people today. Awesome. That's why we do this. So memorize it and recite it in the morning and the evening. Set an alarm for yourself. Set a reminder. So, you know, five or 10 minutes after you wake up, whatever, whatever you got to do to remind yourself to just by yourself on your own to recite this. Here it is, the Jesus Creed. One last time. We're going to recite it together. Would you do this? Would you stand up? Stand with me. And uh, together, the last time on, during this series, not the last time in your life ever, because you're going to continue to do this. Um, the last time together. Here we go. Ready? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment. Awesome. Um, Will you pray with me? And then we'll worship together. So Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that, that the ability to live out what you've called us to, to love God and love others, is not found in ourselves. That we, we really are able to remain in you, to stay connected to you, to abide in you. Help us to be faithful to you always, continually connected to you each and every day for the rest of our lives. And transform us, Lord, from the inside as we stay connected. We give you permission, as painful as it may be, we give you permission to prune our lives so that we can become more fruitful. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We worship you now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.